the next few minutes, I want to talk with you about a subject that is controversial in a lot of circles. This morning, I want to talk with you about the subject of baptism, some positive and negative traits of baptism. And I want us to talk about this morning some things that baptism will and will not do. And I fully realize that in the world in which we live that it is religiously divided on this important subject. The great majority of people today would say that baptism has absolutely nothing at all to do with a person's salvation. People say it doesn't matter if one is or is not baptized, that baptism in no way impacts a person's eternal destiny. And yet we always need to allow the Bible to answer this as well as any other question in regard to the matter of religion. I want to begin this morning by simply asking you a question. Why does the Bible ever even mention baptism if it never does anything. On the other hand, why does the Bible mention anything but baptism if it does everything? See, it's not a matter of everything or nothing. Rather, it's a matter of something the Bible says that baptism will accomplish. And I want us today to think about these things today. I want us to consider this for our own benefit so that we might learn more. But I also want to present this this morning to help us that we might better help others to understand this important subject as well. I want to spend quite a bit of time this morning talking about some things that baptism will not accomplish. You know, God never intended for baptism to do everything. In fact, I believe that, that we mislead people whenever we make the statement or give the impression that baptism is the most important command. But first of all, let's notice some things that baptism will not do. For example, baptism will not give an individual the right to go out and continue in sin. It will not give us the privilege of committing willful sin, transgressing God's law. I think sometimes if we're not careful, we in the Lord's church may have the idea that, you know, because we've been baptized, we can pretty much live any way that we please. And yet Paul made it very plain in Romans 6 and verse 6. And these verses here are in the immediate context of baptism. Paul said, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should no longer serve sin. In Romans 6 and verse 12, Paul said, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. In other words, we should never allow as Christians sin to dominate, to control our lives. And, and these verses are found in the immediate context of baptism. 
And neither will baptism prevent one from being tempted to sin. You know, we need to understand that temptation is very powerful every day. And I think that's especially true for those who have been baptized. Now, it's true that baptism will remove the guilt of past sins, but it will not immune us from the temptation of being involved in future sin. Now, there's no way that we can refute that the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 12 that a child of God can fall away from a right relationship with God. Galatians 5 and verse 4 says a child of God can fall from grace. The Hebrews writer in chapter 6 verses 4 through 6 emphasizes that a child of God can fail to inherit. According to 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 27, a child of God can become a castaway. Jesus said in John 15 verse 6 that a child of God can be cast into the fire and be burned. But I'm thankful the Bible does tell us how to keep that from happening. The Bible does tell how Christians can keep from falling. If you notice what Peter said in 2 Peter 1 and verse 5, he said, beside this, giving all diligence. In other words, you have a laser-like focus. You put forth a diligent, conscious effort. Beside all this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge temperance, to temperance patience, to patience brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love for, and that word for there is there for a reason, for if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, but he who lacks these things is blind and he cannot see afar off. And he has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. How do I do that? He says, for if you do these things, you shall never fall. You see, the Bible tells us how to keep from falling. As long as we are consciously and diligently adding these Christian graces, allowing these things to grow in our lives, we will not fall. You see, the Bible tells us how to keep from falling. But I think we also need to realize that baptism will not remove the bitter fruit of sin. You know, it may very well be the case that once an individual has stopped sinning or stopped engaging in some particular sin, that that sin is still going to continue to affect our body, perhaps as long as we live. Here's an individual that goes out and he devotes himself to all kinds of sexual immorality. That individual may contract some kinds of sexually transmitted disease, maybe even AIDS. And that individual may hear the gospel, obey the gospel, 
That individual's forgiven of every sin he's ever committed. And yet the impact of those diseases may affect that individual for as long as he lives, even though he's forgiven. There's consequences to our sins. Or here's an individual that is an alcoholic. He literally drinks himself almost to death and he hears the gospel. He obeys the gospel. Every past sin is washed away. And yet, even though that individual is forgiven, he's going to have to deal with the ravages that alcohol has done to his physical body. You see, Acts 2 and verse 38 promises us the forgiveness of sins, all sin at baptism, but it does not promise the removal of every evil effect of sin. And baptism will not remove all the problems from our lives as many times some people seem to indicate today. Some people have the idea, well, you know, I'm going to walk down the aisle and I'm going to be baptized and now, you know, my life is just going to be free of all problems. You've greatly misunderstood the nature of baptism. Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12 that all who are in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And that just simply means that as children of God, if we're faithful, we're going to deal with various problems. And neither will baptism relieve an individual of further responsibility. I'm afraid sometimes people in the Lord's church may have the idea that, you know, once I've been baptized, I can just kind of sit down. I've got my ticket to heaven punched. And I can just kind of take it easy and maybe enjoy the fellowship of Christians and not really do anything or make any sacrifices to build up the cause of Christ. And yet Paul says in the context of baptism in Romans 6 and verse 4 that we are raised to walk in newness of life, a new lifestyle new goals, new ambitions, a new focus. After baptism, we are to live differently. Colossians 3 and verse 1 says, if you then be risen with Christ, that's baptism. Seek those things, that's active. Keep on seeking those things which are above where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Ephesians 2 and verse 10 describes those who have been baptized as God's workmanship. You see, our responsibility in the Lord's kingdom only begins once we've been baptized. And I believe we in the Lord's church need to realize today that our responsibility before God just begins once we are baptized into Christ. And therefore, we have a responsibility to do everything we can to try to build up the Lord's church. And neither will baptism change a person physically. Baptism will not make the women any more beautiful. It will not make the men any more attractive. Baptism deals with the inward part of man. It deals with the soul of man. And neither 
will baptism substitute for faith? If you don't believe in God, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you can be baptized a hundred times and it won't accomplish one thing in the sight of God. Jesus said, if you don't believe that I am he, you'll die in your sins, John 8 and verse 24. Baptism also won't substitute for repentance. Jesus said in Luke 13, 3 and 5, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you'll all likewise perish. You see, unless an individual is willing to repent, unless an individual is willing to turn away from sin, then baptism will have none effect whatsoever. Baptism will not substitute for confessing Christ as well. In Matthew 10 and verse 32, Jesus said, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I also confess before my Father which is in heaven. If you're not willing to confess Jesus Christ before men, all you're doing in baptism is simply getting wet. And I think we also need to realize that baptism will never save an individual against his own will. Now, I know sometimes that husbands are really on their wives' cases and wives are on their husbands' cases about being baptized. Maybe parents are on their children's cases or children are on their parents' cases. But, you know, if you have the idea that I'm going to walk down the aisle and I'm going to be baptized to please my husband or to get my wife off my back or I'm going to be baptized maybe to please my children or my parents. You misunderstand baptism altogether. I think about some young people that I've talked to in days past and gone and, and the real reason they gave for being baptized was, well, that just seems to be what everybody else my age is doing and I just kind of want to fit in with what my friends are doing. And yet the Bible says in Acts 2 and verse 41, then they that gladly received his word were baptized. The Bible says in Romans 6 and verse 17 that God be thanked, you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form, that pattern of teaching that was delivered unto you. You see, it's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of submitting my will to God's will. And if I would not really be baptized, if it wasn't for the pressure put on me by maybe a family member, I probably wouldn't do it. Then you really misunderstand baptism completely. Now, I believe you're beginning to see this morning that baptism doesn't accomplish everything. And what we've talked about thus far is only a few of the things that baptism was never intended to accomplish. But in the second place, <clears throat> does this just completely rule out baptism altogether? Now, there are granted many things that baptism will not do, but does that cause us to conclude that baptism will do nothing at all? Now, I want in this particular point in time, I want to establish the fact that baptism, to say the very least, is important. And in order to establish that fact this morning, I want to ask you some 
vital questions, and then let's allow the Bible to answer those questions. In John 10 and verse 9, Jesus said, I am the door. In John 10 verse 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. In John 14 verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, can a person be saved outside of Jesus Christ, who is the door, who is the good shepherd? Can one be saved outside of Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life? Well, it's obvious that one cannot be saved outside of Christ. Well, then you cannot be saved without baptism. Because the Bible says in Galatians 3 and verse 27, For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Again, can one be saved without putting on the attributes of Christ, putting on the nature of Jesus Christ? You say, well, certainly nobody can be saved without putting on Christ. But well, then I submit to you that one cannot be saved without baptism because in baptism, one puts on Christ. One is clothed with Christ. Well, can one be saved outside the body of Christ? Now, the church and the body is the same thing. And the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13, for by one spirit have we all been baptized into one body. So the Bible says that baptism is the act that puts one into the body and that one body is the church according to Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. Well, somebody else may ask, can one be saved outside the kingdom of Christ? Now, Christ is the king over his kingdom. Satan is the king over his kingdom. If you are not in the Lord's kingdom today, you are in the devil's kingdom. Now, can one be saved outside the Lord's kingdom? Well, I think it's obvious today that no individual could ever be saved outside the Lord's kingdom. Well, that being the case, you cannot be saved without baptism. Because our Lord told Nicodemus in John chapter 3 and verse 5, Verily I say unto you, except a man be born of water and the Spirit, that's baptism, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Well, can one be saved while refusing to obey a direct command? You say, well, there's no way that an individual could ever refuse a direct command and be saved. And yet we read in Acts 10 and verse 48, he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. But today, if you really believe that a person can be saved without baptism, and you are totally convinced that's the case, 
Would you tell me what Peter meant when he wrote in 1 Peter 3 and verse 21, the like figure whereunto even baptism does now save us. Peter makes it clear in no uncertain terms that baptism saves. Now, if a person could be saved without being baptized, then why in the world did Peter make that kind of statement? Now, we spent quite a bit of time so far talking about some things that simply cannot be accomplished by baptism, things that God never intended for baptism to accomplish. But I hope that I have successfully pointed out in the second place that baptism at the very least is important. But now I want to close our lesson today by asking you, what does the Bible say that baptism actually will do? Now, I'm going to ask you at this point in time to do something that is very difficult, and I don't want you just to spend 30 more seconds on your Peloton. It's different than that. This something that's very difficult I want you to do is something that's close to being impossible, but I hope today that you will try. For the next few minutes, I want to ask you to try to just forget everything that you've ever heard. I want you to try to put outside of your mind everything that you've ever heard somebody say, every argument that you've ever heard anybody make about the subject of baptism. Try to forget about what preachers may have said that you've heard. Try to forget about what your Sunday school teacher may have said, what your parents may have said. And what I want everybody to do today is just try to open up your mind and your Bible. And let's just see from God's word what it says that baptism will, in fact, actually accomplish. If baptism will not do anything, baptism is not worth anything. But in order to establish what baptism will accomplish, I again want to pose a few questions and and let the Bible answer these questions. I would love to use Melvin's term query. But you know that's not me. I just have to I have to ask a question. And so I want to I want to ask you these questions and let's see what the Bible says. First of all, does the Bible ever even mention Baptism. Well, the answer is yes. Did you realize that there are more than 400 different references to baptism in the Bible? Number two, does the Bible ever define baptism? Does it tell us what baptism is? Does the Bible ever give any information about the mode of baptism? Well, again, the answer is yes. In Romans 6 and verse 4, In Colossians 2 and verse 12, the Bible says baptism is a burial. Now, if Rover is dead all over and you take Rover out and you bury him, do you take just a a few pieces of dirt and sprinkle that on top of him? Or maybe take a, a, a cup of dirt and just pour 
on the body of that dead animal? Of course not. We know that the word bury means to submerge. It means to cover up. It means to overwhelm. The name baptizo itself means a, a burial, an immersion. And so you see this idea of sprinkling or pouring will not do. It will not fulfill God's requirement that baptism is a burial. Well, does the Bible ever give us any examples of individuals being baptized? And again, there's so many here. I will only refer to a few. In Acts chapter 2, 36 through 41, there were 3,000 who were baptized on the day of Pentecost. In Acts 8 and verse 12, the Samaritans were baptized. In Acts 8 and verse 13, Simon was baptized. In Acts chapter 8, 38 and 39, the eunuch was baptized. Paul was baptized in Acts 9 and verse 18. Cornelius was baptized in Acts 10 and verse 48. Acts 16 and verse 15 tells us about Lydia and her household being baptized. The Philippian jailer was baptized in Acts 16, 33. In Acts 18 and verse 8, the Bible says many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. In Acts 19, 1 through 5, the Ephesians were baptized. And, and there's just literally so many examples we could give of individuals being baptized. Well, does the Bible ever come out and tell us what baptism is for? Does it ever tell us the purpose of baptism? And of course, the answer is yes. You recall on the day of Pentecost, Peter brought that powerful sermon to an end and those folks were cut to the heart. They were convicted of their sin and they wouldn't even allow Peter to finish. They interrupted him and cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? In Acts 2 and verse 38, Peter said, repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And so the Bible says that baptism is for the remission of sins. But somebody says, well, wait a minute. Don't you realize that the word for means because of? And, and what Peter's actually saying here is, you repent and you be baptized because your sins have already been forgiven. Now, I realize that in English, our word for can mean because of, and it can mean in order to. If we were to say that this man was put into prison for murder, does that mean he was put in prison in order to commit murder? Well, certainly not. He was put in prison because of murder. But I'm thankful that our New Testament was not written in English. But it was written in Koine Greek. And it just so happens that the Greeks had two words for our one word for and it just so happens that this word in Acts 2 and verse 38 means in order to and not because of. 
Another example is the statement made by our Lord in Matthew 26 and verse 28. He said, this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Did our Lord shed his blood because sins were already forgiven? Well, that's absurd, isn't it? He shed his blood in order that sins might be forgiven. And that's the same word that's used in Acts 2 and verse 38 when Peter said, you repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. You be baptized in order to have your sins forgiven. Well, does the Bible ever just come out and plainly tell us anything baptism does? And the answer is yes. Bible talks about how baptism puts one into Christ. Romans 6 and verse 3, Galatians 3 and verse 27, both make it very clear that baptism puts one into Christ. Now, why be in Christ? What is the big deal about being in Christ? Think about that for a minute. Well, in Ephesians 1 and verse 3, the Bible says all spiritual blessings are in Christ. In Ephesians 1 and verse 7, the Bible says that redemption and forgiveness of sins is in Christ. In 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 19, the Bible tells us that all the promises of God are in Christ. Even in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 10, the Bible says that salvation is in Christ. Now, I want you to listen very carefully this morning. If you want to get where all spiritual blessings are. If you want to get where forgiveness and redemption are, if you want to get to the place where salvation is found, you have to be in Christ. I challenge anybody today in this assembly or anywhere in the world to find any other passage of scripture that tells one how to get into Christ other than by baptism. Romans 6 and verse 3, Galatians 3 and verse 27 both say that one is baptized into Christ. What does the Bible say that baptism does anything else? Well, the Bible talks about how baptism puts one into the church. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13, for by one spirit... Are we all baptized into one body and that body is the church according to Ephesians 1, 22 and 23? Anything else baptism does? Well, the Bible talks about baptism washing away sins. It just really infuriates me sometimes to hear somebody say, well, who ever heard of baptism washing any sin away? But if you'll open up your Bible, you'll read a passage like Acts 22 and verse 16, where Saul was approached by Ananias and Ananias told Saul, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. That's what baptism says. Anything else that baptism does? Well, the Bible talks about baptism saving individuals. And again, a lot of religious people cannot bring themselves to understand this truth. The very idea that baptism say, <clears throat> saves anybody. 
And yet Peter said, baptism also now saves us, 1 Peter 3 and verse 21. Well, does the Bible ever tell us how and by what authority baptism is to be administered? And again, the answer is yes. In Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19, Jesus said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of, by the authority of, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so baptism is to be administered in the name and by the authority of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, does the Bible ever tell us how many baptisms there are? Well, again, the answer is yes. There is one baptism according to Ephesians 4 and verse 3. Well, does the Bible ever tell us when an individual ought to be baptized? Again, the answer is yes. And I think the Bible tells us very plainly just who it is that ought to be baptized. The Bible says in Matthew 28 and verse 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Baptism won't do any good unless you've been taught. Christianity is a taught religion. And then we need to believe in God. We need to believe in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. The Bible talks about how those that are willing to confess Christ should be baptized. The eunuch in Acts chapter 8 made the confession, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then he was baptized. Those who gladly received his word were baptized, Acts 2 and verse 41. But now let's answer specifically the question of when. Does the Bible just ever come out and plainly tell us what time in life a person ought to be baptized? Now, if you're old enough to know right from wrong, we always use the term accountable. If you have that sense of lostness, if you know in your heart right now that if you were to die, you would be lost forever, then you need to be baptized. You know, I grew up in the church. I knew what to do to be saved when I was, could barely talk and walk, but I wasn't ready to be baptized. Only when I reached the age of about 14 and a half did I begin to understand that I was lost in my sin. I began to realize if tonight were the night that I were to die, I would not be with God in heaven. For some folks, that may be at age 12 or 13. You get your driver's license at age 16 to me. Becoming a Christian is a more important decision than that, is it not? It may be different for different people. But at some point, an individual is going to come to the time when they know in their own heart that if they were to die or the Lord would come again, that they would be lost forever. That's what it means to reach the age of accountability. Saul was told, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized. Wash away your sins. When they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God, they were baptized, both men and women. Acts chapter 8 and verse 12. You see, in every case in the book of Acts, the book of conversions, every individual we read about who was baptized 
was baptized when they heard the gospel message. And there are probably people here today that need to be baptized. Why was Paul told not to wait? Why was he told not to delay? It was because he was lost in his sins. And if you're old enough to be accountable, if you know you're guilty of sin, you need to realize today you are guilty of every sin you've ever committed in your life. And those sins remain unforgiven. But now quickly as I close, here's the most important part of this lesson. What is your reaction to all these teachings? Since the Bible mentions baptism and defines baptism, since the Bible gives examples of baptism, it tells us what it is and what it's for and what it does and how it's to be administered and it tells us how many baptisms there are. It even tells us who is to be baptized and when that should take place. My question for you today is how are you going to react to all these things? Is it possible that you may go on believing what you've always believed and simply set aside all these passages? Are you still going to argue that it makes no difference whether or not a person is baptized or will you be like those on the day of Pentecost? Those individuals were pricked in their hearts and while Peter was preaching, they cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? Those folks knew they were lost. They knew they were condemned. They knew they were without any hope whatsoever. And those folks didn't quibble about baptism being necessary. They just took God at his word. It's very simple. I'm not telling you that baptism does everything. There are so many things baptism will not do. But it is important. And there are many things that baptism will do. And unless you've been scripturally immersed in water, baptized for the remission of your sins, there is not one sin in your life that stands forgiven this very day. And when you are baptized, that will be done in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It will be for the forgiveness of all your past sins and and certainly, taking that step is not always easy. It may be even somewhat embarrassing. But if your life and your heart is not right in God's sight, you need to be willing and able, honest enough to obey the gospel even at this hour. Maybe you've done that in the past. You've obeyed the gospel, but you strayed away. You've gone back into the world. Maybe there are things as a child of God that you need to correct. Maybe you haven't diligently been seeking to add those Christian graces to your life. This morning, if we can help you in any way, we ask that you come now while we stand and sing.